Hi everyone. We just wanted to let you know that we've decided to switch up our release schedule. So we're going to be releasing episodes every two weeks instead of every week. With COVID restrictions starting to lift in the UK, all of us on the pod are seeing a very welcome increase in our day jobs, our social lives, our artistic opportunities, all of which is obviously really great, but it is leaving us with less time to work on the podcast than we've had up to this point. We want to make sure that we're coming to each episode with pitches that are properly researched and thought out, and we want to make sure that we have time to release properly edited, good-sounding episodes, because these things make for a better experience for you guys at home. As well as putting out good content, we also want to make sure that none of us burn out. We've all just had the most fun making this podcast, and we hope that making this change to every two weeks will mean that we all feel able to keep making it for as long as we've got people out there who want to listen. So that's it. As always, if you know someone who you think might enjoy the podcast, do please let them know. Uh, let us know on social media what you like, what you don't like. We really do genuinely want to know. And other than that, thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to episode 21 of Sequel Pitch, the podcast where four film enthusiast friends review movies that don't have sequels and have a contest to see who the host thinks has the best idea for one. My name is Drew Toynbee, I'm very happy to be back hosting this week. Joining me once again today to discuss the movie and pitch me their sequels are Matthew Rushton. Hello there. Andy Henry. Hello. And Ross Harmston. I'm falling in all the good episodes we have in this podcast. Hiya. Hiya. How are we all doing? Wow. Yeah, go. good. Better for that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, well, Ross has rather given the game away. This week we've changed pace a bit and ventured into more dramatic territory. Uh, probably, I would say, more dramatic than we've done so far in... 20 episodes as we watched the 2018 remake of a remake of a 1937 film a star is born this version of course starring lady gaga and bradley cooper who also co-wrote produced and directed the movie so as always before we get to our reviewing and pitching just in case any of our listeners haven't seen the movie we do a reasonably quick but definitely longer than 60 second summary so that you've got a broad idea of what we're talking about when we're um, talking about it for the sequels so obviously full spoilers ahead and i'm gonna start <laughs> now Famous rock star Jackson Maine, played by Bradley Cooper, meets Ali, Lady Gaga, a waitress and ex-aspiring singer, while she sings in a drag bar he enters on the off chance whilst looking for somewhere to drink after a gig. Jackson is incredibly impressed and taken with Ali, and after they spend some time together bonding that evening, Jackson invites Ali to his next gig. Whilst there, Jackson has his band play a song that Ali had written and sang to him in a car park the night before, having Ali join them on stage to sing it. It's a big showstopper, Shallow, which you will probably know from the charts around the time. Jackson invites Ali to come on tour with him and they become romantically involved. As their relationship grows and Ali's star rises, we learn more about Jackson's past and his clear addiction to alcohol and pills. 
Jackson has a violent falling out with his older half-brother and manager, Bobby, played by the inimitable Sam Elliott, when he finds out that Bobby sold their father's Arizona ranch. But Bobby reveals he told Jackson of the sale, but Jackson was just too inebriated to remember. Ali, meanwhile, is signed by a producer to start making her own music, which clearly affects Jackson. Ali's onstage persona is changed by the producer becoming less about sort of rock country ballads and going more towards pop, and Jackson continues spiralling, eventually being found passed out in public by his best friend Noodles, played by Dave Chappelle, after missing one of Ali's concerts. Jackson and Ali reconcile, and in fact get married on that same day. Jackson then reconciles with his brother, but still can't stay away from the drink, having a major falling out with Ali whilst drunk, where he cruelly picks on her insecurities and calls her ugly. Though they reconcile again, Jackson is wasted at the Grammys, where Ali wins an award and wets himself on stage. He ends up in rehab, where he explains to his counsellor more about his troubled childhood and discloses that he attempted suicide when he was just shy of 13 years old. Jackson and Ali reconcile once again once he's been in rehab for three months, but while Jackson's sobriety seems to be going quite well, Ali's producer informs him that whilst Ali won't tell him any of this because she loves him too much, he nearly ruined her career with what happened, and that it'll only be a matter of time before he relapses and it happens again. Ali cancels the final leg of her European tour to care for Jackson, but lies and tells him that the label made her do it to focus on her second album. Jackson says he's going to join her at a concert one night, but instead relapses on pills that he finds in his car and hangs himself in their garage while Ali is on stage. Closing the film out, Bobby speaks with Ali and tells her that the only person whose fault this was was Jackson, and the movie ends with Ali singing a song that Jackson wrote for her in his final weeks at a tribute concert for him. So, it's heavy stuff this week guys how did you yeah. find the film yeah i, um, I, 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 I was just gonna say yeah i really enjoyed it i thought the performances <coughs> were great um i thought lady gaga especially really surprised me um she was really really good uh bradley cooper as well like smashed it i can't believe mm. that he learned to play guitar in six months um because it felt like he was, he felt like he was a rock star, like with his guitar riffing and stuff. Yeah, really I, yeah, I would have assumed that either watching the film, I, I, I was just like, well, either this is fake or he already knew how to play guitar. It was really, really well done. Yeah. And obviously the sexy, sexy voice of Sam Elliott. Um, <laughs> oh, God, that man. He could sell anything to you. Um, he really could. If you could, uh, if you could understand him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love. Uh, it's bit, one of the best, nice bits for me is when after Bradley Cooper comes out of um, rehab and then he's um, he's speaking to his brother and Sam Elliott. Like he says, uh, I was always jealous of you, um, or I didn't. What was it? it no, he I says d- that he said he says I, 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 I didn't. You. I, I idolized yeah, you, yeah, not dad. It. Um, and then it's when Sam is reversing. You just yeah. see him, just like, oh. yeah, the kind Beautiful. of the the panic on it, like the the franticness that he puts the car in gear and turns yeah, around, yeah. like the not being able to process that emotion. It's it's yeah, a film full of full of just wonderful performances. I would say that, like, for me, I don't know about you guys, I found the story it was good, but I felt it was. 
it's hard to explain it. Like it felt quite generic in the sense that it was a <laughs> Matt's sticking his literally up. all my notes. <laughs> in, ter- in terms of like, in terms of like, it's a it's a rock star with a. a I mean. Yes, you could say that about any film, but I'm just saying that for me, the part of the Bradley Cooper story felt very generic in that sense. Uh, not, um, I liked the whole Lady Gaga element of it, but it's the you know the troubled singer because you know there's there's been stuff like that, like Crazy Heart with uh, Jeff Bridges and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and you know this this film. Other than that, I thought that this film was great and it was a really great performance. It echoed for me. It felt a little bit like Johnny Cash and um, and his wife. Not not they're not like parallels, but it it just echoed that for me a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, go on, Matt. What, yeah, what Matt. You... <laughs> yeah. I think I, I mean you've covered the you've covered for me too the really important bits. Um, that the story in itself is a bit vanilla. Um, some of the characters I think are a bit two-dimensional you know people like Rez the producer I think it's quite a two-dimensional character Ramon the best friend you know like they've kind of taken some cliches they come in and then go out really quick yeah the the ones that are really on on focus yeah Yeah. get the development though oh yeah for sure I guess and yeah but it, it is it's a film that we've you know you can so you've seen the general narrative a couple of times. Um, I do think that they they certainly don't gloss it up in any way. Like mm-hmm. they never mm-hmm. really paint the rock star life in a glamorous light. Even when Gaga's broken out and she has her own, you know, her own solo career and stuff. It's like I like that they don't try and put frills and glitter on it to try and make it look something it's not um so i enjoyed that they were real with that but for me this movie is completely made by the cast Mm, you know the performances are just breathtaking and the chemistry like the electricity between cooper and lady gaga is insane like you don't get it's not often you get a pairing on screen that just yeah. click like that and i like for me it made it so much more real interesting uh, emotional you know when you believe film... everything that they say the their faces sell <coughs> every moment yeah. in the movie like it's just captivating it's very they're very human they're very human performances they're like it feels like the it made me wonder if there was a choice in the direction from Bradley Cooper to have the most heightened, most emotional moments happen on stage while they're performing. Because like, even when they are at their lowest point as a couple, when they're having that, like when Jackson does that awful thing in the bathroom and like sits there and tells her that she's ugly and like is really cruel. Even her reaction is she's just like, it's, it's a raised voice saying, get the fuck out twice. And that's it. Yeah. It's not over the top screaming and shouting. There's no wailing or lamenting after he after Jackson's died. We don't see her like in we we don't see someone finding the body. We we see her have two like short scenes. We see her playing the piano and kind of listless on the sofa and then smashing his posters and that's all that you have of her processing her grief 
before she speaks with Bobby. Um, and yeah, Beautiful and I dialogue. think that was really, yeah, I thought it was admirable. Just to add. I, I have, I take issue with the way that addiction is dealt with, not the way that it's presented, but there is a potentially not 100% brilliant message to the end of this film. But Andy, let's go to you first before I move on to that point. What did you think? What are your overall thoughts? Overall, yeah, kind of the same as everyone. The story was a very good average kind of story. Um, it was made fully by the uh, by the actors and um, and the characters. Um, yeah, I say I, I I had one note because I was all, I was so actually engrossed in the film. It was very like engrossing. My one note was that creepy nose touch that Bradley Cooper does. Um, <laughs> just reminded yeah. me of Face Off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, I'm just trying to just trying to think of anything else basically to add that you guys have already haven't said. Um, I was going to mention the their chemistry uh, prompted rumors that they were having an affair uh, at the time of release. I, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was now, now seeing it, I was I'm like, yeah, I can definitely I can definitely see. And yeah, I gave it to Lady Gaga. I don't know if she's acted before, but she's done great. And I know her and Bradley Cooper weren't the uh, um, producers, for, or he not producers, which all I was gonna say network, but I can't remember. Warner Brothers, wasn't it? Was it Warner yeah. Brothers? Yeah, um, they weren't uh, Warner remember. Brothers' first choice. Production companies. No, it was M- no, it was at MGM. Oh, MGM. Oh, and distributed by Warner Brothers. That was probably where. Um, um, I was gonna say, yeah, like the um the dialogue felt very naturalistic and very improvised-ish. Like, you could have mistaken it for improvisation because they gave it so naturally and it and it had such a naturalistic feel that it you could have passed it off as improvisation. Like, that's... Like, obviously, they've given them a broad sense of what the scene is and they can talk and react to however uh, they want. And I think on, on the whole... Uh, Lady Gaga thing. It's probably me being small-minded, but like all I thought ever thought she was is that you know crazy singer who wore weird dresses or whatever you know or kooky dresses. <laughs> um, so it's great yeah. to see you know some more. In this really, yeah. yeah, like so. totally opposite. Yeah, the the fact that I I felt like the the film was reasonably explicit in its distaste for pop music compared to it wasn't like completely over the top pop music is evil and all that's wrong with the music industry but it it took jackson's viewpoint that she shouldn't move away from her roots and i think supported his view of it quite strongly and so yeah Mm -hmm. it was interesting to see lady gaga on stage playing a, a weird version of herself, kind yeah. of a mashup of herself and Beyonce, and having that be presented as being not super cool, and yeah, props to her for for standing up and doing that and doing it really well. There's, I think, yeah, like um, Andy kind of made the point from her and Ross as well. In some ways, you know, with Lady Gaga, she's very much known for her music. The only thing that I can remember seeing her in was American Horror Story. And that in itself is a very complex character and complex range of characters that she played, which were in some ways kind of 
personas of herself when she's performing. It's certainly, you know, old Lady Gaga before she kind of toned it down and said that she was kind of fed up of being so, the persona that she had at the time. Mm, you know, yeah. it's she's been quite vocal, I think, and I think this is something that Drew's kind of touching on. She's been quite vocal about the music industry and how there are times that she hated it. You know, she hated constantly having to wear this and constantly having to look away and, you know, having to do something that stands out. So I wonder if there is an element of, you know, she kind of used this as a good cleanser. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I really, really hope that she carries on and keeps all these strings on her bow. Yeah. Musically, she's, you know, she's incomparable. You can't compare her music style. But as an actor, she really holds her own. Well, yeah, I mean, the did she write Shallow? I feel like it was her song. Um, I don't really know much trivia. I only know the only trivia I know is that final song she sang, which again, I think kind of, you know, in some ways, if you watch that, there's a real rawness to it because, what is it? I believe. Yeah, it was written by Gaga. Yeah, she wrote it. Sorry, sorry, Matt. No, no, no. Know. It's um, the uh, when she performed "I'll Never Love Again," um, her friend, I believe, had just passed away. Gosh, she'd right. found out. Um, yeah. just On that, check it. Yeah, that, yeah, I remember reading the same, Matt. Yeah, it was like that afternoon. She, she heard. Wow. On that as um, well, the music is beautiful. Mm. It, well. Yeah, the, it's stunning. Like uh, even I even like. Weirdly, after I started watching the movie, I've now started to listen to that bit before um, where Bradley Cooper's doing sort of like a, a riff on a guitar and then a, a beat starts to come into it. Oh, and it's start. just it's just before Alibi. Um, and I've just been listening to that <laughs> as I'm walking. I'm like, yeah, this is fucking badass. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> yeah, so good. Yeah. It's, yeah, really, really lovely stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, turn- so just to confirm, I'm sorry, I'll just clean up for factual purposes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, right before filming the scene, Gaga received a phone call that her best friend was about to pass away from stage four cancer. Christ. Wow. So, in terms of performance, I mean, I'm not necessarily, as an actor, I'm not really big in the whole method thing, but there are some times where you know things do align and the performances speak for themselves and i think that song is probably one of them for me yeah yeah well and it's it takes a remarkable amount of craft to be able to perform something that will be that raw and to get through it like yeah and any i don't think anyone would begrudge her saying hey i'm not gonna shoot this scene today i know we've hired this theater but nah that's i i'm not going to do this and to stand up and deliver the performance there's you, you might you would you would hope that she has the support network around her to make sure she was okay afterwards but she made the choice and she did she gave an incredible performance so fair play she talks about how cooper was so supportive of it and like it's okay you don't have to go ahead and she's like no all i want to do is sing so she was yeah like it was fully in her court to go ahead with that performance that's great so we we are obviously we all think that 
there is a great deal in this film that is absolutely awesome. Um, I have some things that I would have been happy if they were slightly different, but I'd be interested to see if there are anything, if there's anything in it that you guys would change if you had the opportunity to, to remake this remake of a remake of a remake. One thing that stood out for me, I think, was uh, the thing that pushed Jackson over the edge. It was a good, it was a good like speech, but I think, if I remember right, wasn't it just like just as he came out of rehab? It's the time frames in in the film are a little bit ambiguous. Mm. Like, like it I could have, it could have, it. Could've, it I I got the impression that it'd been a a few weeks, at least. But mm. so he was like clean for a few weeks, and then he had this one big blow and then kind of gave up. I just felt like it could have been something else in between or after or something. But hmm. I, I think I th- just one thing. I think they could have taken their time, the beginning of the movie, in setting them two up. I felt it was a little bit too rushed for my liking. Um, like, they went on one date and then he's like, yeah, yeah come to my concert. Uh that's how it felt i would have liked them to have gone out a little bit more but obviously i know time constraints of a movie but um yeah i don't know something about that um yeah i think that's the only thing really for me what about you matt mine is it's kind of just touched on it. i find some of the uh narrative path you're kind of left to fill in the blanks a lot like there are time, there are, there are weird cuts and weird fades that almost feel like half a scene, um, and time. Yeah, you have to very much kind of make your own decisions on how long things have been and where they're mm. at and whatnot. And you, you don't necessarily need handholding as as an uh, as a viewer, as someone watching it. But I did kind of having I had to. I found myself having to think right where are we what's happened like how how much longer is this that a key one being you know when res comes and confronts cooper and whatnot it's like well okay so if the mid tour like does that mean it's been a month is it three months is it a week like it's you know i just you do have to kind of stay on your guard and for me it kind of pulled me out a little bit from the experience of the movie um mm. but having seen it a couple of times already like it doesn't have that same impact now, but I certainly remember the first time being a bit like, I'm not really sure where or when this is now. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. Like, there's, they have a few signifiers, like they, they, that they set up well in dialogue, like how long Jackson's been in rehab, and the fact that Charlie the puppy becomes Charlie the dog by the end. So they are making it clear that time is passing, and that's good. But it's like, just not the focus, which I which I get, yeah. But. Yeah, it's it's not the focus, but at the same time, like, it's not like they don't live in an area of America where you can have some scenes where it's winter outside and then it's spring and summer and you show progression like that. So even if it was something as rubbish as occasionally you got a shot of a calendar or like mm-hmm. dates of concerts on a poster. I personally would have appreciated that, but it's it's by no means by no means a deal breaker. Um, for me, my the the thing that I kind of struggled with most is uh, so Bradley Cooper is uh, a recovering alcoholic and addict, and he's been very public about that. And this was clearly 
a very very personal project for him and his performance is stunning it's it's really it's as we've said already it's really understated it's very very real and it might come off as a little one note but that the the notes that he hits are really really good the issue that i take with it is twofold in that first off that it blames jackson at the end and and says it's it's his fault and addiction is a disease and yeah but wasn't I, that uh was it rez like, that was tr- him trying yeah to no that assault. wasn't rez that was bobby that was bobby oh, like was saying, oh, t- okay. saying to ali mm. it's not your fault it's no one's fault it's no one's fault but his and i really would have preferred them to say it's no one's fault it's not even jackson's fault he had a disease yeah, it I was guess. his choice and yeah, right. you have to be like if you have an addiction there's it's not your fault but it is still your responsibility and it and you can acknowledge that but i think they could have been a little more understanding of that um even though it's it is no you go matt i was just gonna i think it kind of opens up an even more uncomfortable and taboo conversation and that's actually about you know ultimately suicide and putting a blame or a fault on suicide in itself as well and that was like more than the more than the addiction is what i kind of thinking about it again now it's you you know it it's almost like there was a bit of a comment from a writer or from somebody on you know on suicide and how it kind of how they personally feel about it um and Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of when you take a moment to reflect it can be a really dangerous thing to do because Um sorry the position that people well no i was just going to finish my sentence with a hanger that it's you know because of the position people are in to then make them feel more guilty about something you know you're meant to be offering any avenue of comfort and support and it doesn't really feel like that Mm -hmm. yeah it's just and obviously these this film is is written by by someone who has been through addiction and and we don't know what other kind of thoughts have gone through Bradley Cooper or the other writers heads while they've been at at various stages in their life and it's not to say this film's evil or it's done anything hugely hugely wrong Um, but I just I that struck a chord with me the other issue that I do take with this film is that it's Ali is kind of Ali is framed the entire way through by her relationship with the men in her life and the impact that they have on her and it's ultimately the the entire film is about how jackson propels her to stardom and you sets her free of him so that she can succeed and and she like she never has a moment to look at she never has a moment where she's like actually maybe i could have done more or where she makes a decision where she like stands up and goes no i want to go down the pop route because i want this to be my career and it would be good for it etc etc um so yeah but again these are these are personal issues that i take with it but they do not take away from any of the masterful work that is or up on the screen for everyone to see when they see it. Um, so I think probably best if we crack on and do our 
final thoughts and scores. Uh, let's start with Andy. Final thoughts and score out of five, please. Ooh, I'm going to give this uh, four weird nose touches out of five <laughs> because, um, yeah, uh, it's it's just the, the acting, really, that pushes it to a four. I think it would have been very uh, a three or a three and a half, but... I'm gonna give. I'm gonna be generous and say yeah, four because it it does deserve it for the acting and the music and everything. It's um, it's definitely a good watch. Cool. Depressing, uh, but good. Matt, um, I'm gonna bump up just slightly on Andy because yeah, the soundtrack as well is an album that often just turns up on my Spotify in a day. I'm gonna go with four point two five guitar string rings. Out of five. Ross? Uh, I think it's a wonderfully acted piece. I'm a big fan of any sort of movie that's about a troubled uh, person uh, going on a journey. Uh, So I'm going to give it four. Um, uh, Sam, what's his name? Sam Sam Elliott. Elliott. Sam Elliott, moustache is out of five. (laughs) Um, I didn't I I wasn't expecting this but I'm going to give it the highest score of all of us Um, and it's yeah I I think that the performances are are stunning it is a film that really stays with you and whilst I I might have personally preferred that they point the message in a different direction the craft of how this story has been told is really, really great. And I look forward to seeing what other films Bradley Cooper directs in the future. And I look forward to seeing Lady Gaga in films as an actor. Um, So I'm going 4.5. Nice. 4.5 evil British people who are managers and (laughs) are the baddies because of course he's the baddie because he's British. Um, Which gives A Star Is Born uh, another pretty high one. It's come in just above Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Game Night at 4.19 out of 5. Oh... Wow. Deserved, very yeah, deserved. So we've we've discussed a, a movie with a a, a poignant and um, pretty definitive ending, and so now I think, <laughs> what better thing could we do than uh, let's ruin it? <laughs> yeah, let's see how you guys deal with that. So it's time to get your sequels pitched. <laughs> The rules of the pitches, as always, are nice and simple. All three of you will have your chance to pitch me your idea without interruption, where you can explain the plot, the themes, anything you want to get across to me and the listeners. Um, After that, I might have a few questions for you, depending if I need some gaps filled in. Um, Then we will enter the debate phase, where the three of you will go head to head, explaining to me why yours is the movie that I should pick compared to the other two. Uh, so let's get the show on the road, starting with last week's host, Ross Harmston. Oh, um, okay. My movie title is called A Star Can Fall. 
The film opens and we see Ali staring at herself in the mirror, now visibly much older. She's getting her makeup done before her big gig at the O2 Arena. She overhears someone in the back saying, make sure they don't see her age. Um, she just stares at the mirror, sort of in a daze. Then the evil British manager from the first movie says, Ali, it's time. We then uh, see her do her hit, Heal Me. People are cheering and going mad. Cut to the show, uh, cut uh, to the after party uh, with uh, the dancers. The dancers. Uh, there is a moment uh, she's in the bathroom with some of the dancers and they offer her some coke or drugs, shall we say. They offer her some drugs <laughs> and she takes, off, uh, she takes it off them and tells the evil British manager and the manager fires them all. The next portion of the movie is the next week performing at the O2 and each night which uh, gives us a chance to hear some new songs as well and each night we see Ali slowly struggling more and more missing dancing steps etc uh, we then come to the final performance of the night and halfway through the gig she comes off uh, for some water and her manager tells her the sad news her father has died She's shocked, and we see her just walk out on stage to start singing Shallow. However, she gets two lines in and just breaks down and is uh, brought off stage. Ali then travels to her father's funeral, sees him, it's super sad, uh, cuts to after Ali is alone, uh, just drinking heavily and singing. Uh, she pulls out the drugs that she had. Yes, I'm sure superstars can hide drugs away in their private jets. She starts <laughs> taking the drugs and wakes up tomorrow, uh, the next day. The manager comes around and tries to wake her up, saying that she's got to carry on the tour, but she refuses. After some heavy dialogue, it is revealed to Ali that the manager spoke to Jackson before he killed himself, and then basically led him to his suicide, possibly. Um, she smashes a bottle over his head, and the manager, uh, something happens, and the manager leaves. Um, Ali then goes on a downward spiral, fueled with drugs and alcohol, and it, and is dropped from her label, and is just doing, uh, and is just not doing anything. She just watches and listens to various Jackson songs. Uh, there is a moment when she thinks about ending it, but she can't do it. She ends up in a massive car crash, killing the opposite driver um, because she was high and drunk. She then leaves the spotlight. She is visited in ho hospital by Bobby Main, and they have a heartfelt conversation again. Uh, he suggests she should come to his ranch to get away from everything. And then the next portion of the film is Ali and Bobby on the farm learning more about Jackson and Bobby's childhood, maybe through flashbacks or some other way. And also Ali finding her roots with her music again, like Jackson wanted, uh, and starts writing some new songs. Two years pass, and Bobby, with uh, his connection, has booked Ali a gig with at least a thousand people, and it is sold out already. And he also shows her the poster from it. It says Loren Main, uh, which is half her dad's name, Lorenzo. She cries. The finale of the movie is uh, the gig, uh, and we hear two new songs about her dad and uh, one about stardom. The end of the movie. All right. Okay, thank you. So, I do have a few questions. Go for it. Okay, I mean, the the main question is, what what is the journey that you are taking Ali on in this film? Like, uh, specifically, why the focus on her ageing at the beginning 
when that doesn't seem to come up as much further later on in the movie well i wanted to show that she's been doing this a long time like she's 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 an aged uh, superstar how long has it been let's say i don't know five years maybe five years ten years maybe and i just wanted to show that she is older and the i wanted to sh- maybe i didn't do it in my pitch but i want to show that the fact that um you know pop stars and people like that it's all about the young look and it's all about what they look like and the image and i want to show that she's been doing this for a long time and that's why i had that comment about i'll make sure you don't show her age and like yeah 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 um yes it's not the main focus on like the latter half of the film i want there to be some sort of fall like and 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 i believe maybe we could work on it more that you know it's a multitude of things, you know, that she's she's not hitting the chance as she was once back in the day. Um, and then that is maybe also attributes to her downward spiral after her, her dad dies. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, why, aside from it being a tribute to her father, why have Ali changed her name to Loren? Because it was something that, was given to her the beginning of her uh pop star career like she i don't think jackson wanted her to be called ali anyway and i think it i think for her to be reborn again and to just be back to her roots it's best to you know go back to her roots and you know it's an homage to her father and i think you know, changing her name and calling herself Maine as well is mm-hmm. a ref is, you know, showing that she is going back to her roots and she is accepting that. Okay. All right. Thank you, mate. That's great. Thank you Thank very much. You. Um, I'm going to move on to Matthew Rushton. Okay. Whenever um, you're ready. My movie is called A Star That Shines. Um, The movie opens and we hear Ali singing with a montage of Jack's house looking quite disheveled. Uh, It's a familiar song and a nod back to the first movie, the opening lines of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but there's a sadness in her voice this time. Eventually we find Ali in a room that we definitely didn't see in the first movie. It's a baby's bedroom. We learn it's a boy, Eddie Jackson Main. Um, I've read somewhere that Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam was one of Bradley Cooper's inspos, so I thought I'd just check that in. Uh, she's singing to her son. Um, We discover through exposition that after her husband's passing, Ali no longer felt that she had anything to say through her music, so left the the spotlight, and of course she discovered she was pregnant. Um, We then have a bit of a time passing. Eddie's now three. They're still living in the house. Ali, Eddie, and Charlie, the dog, uh, Ramon often visits and is clearly very close to Eddie, the child, uh, and a really good emotional anchor for Ali. Uh, He's going to serve this purpose throughout the movie again. However, I don't really have much development for him, so he's not in the pitch. Um, Eddie's told not to enter one specific room, which is Jack's old studio. Ali's not let anyone in there since since Jackson passed away. Uh, Bobby and Lorenzo one day just happen to be visiting uh, and they get reminiscing as they often do you can tell it's kind of a regular thing uh, but they take their eyes off Eddie they're suddenly interrupted by Jackson's voice echoing through the house and obviously 
scares them and they react accordingly. They run to the studio to see that Eddie's gotten in there and has turned the computer on. The song playing is actually one of Ali's from her old songbook that Jackson, that Jackson had put a basic melody under. Um, after a verse and a chorus where everyone in the room's charged with all the emotions that are coming flooding out, he speaks and you kind of hear like, what did I tell you? How, how you say stuff is the stuff of angels. Uh, I've started you off, now all you have to do is finish it. Uh, the next montage is kind of seeing Ali being a mother and spending time with Eddie, but also spending time in the studio, just listening to Jack's voice uh, as if kind of like she's sat with him. It's good therapy for her. Eventually, she does, in fact, get up into the studio and starts recording herself. And we hear a reprise of the track, uh, which kind of becomes the first full musical uh, musical number in the movie. Basically, as an aside now, how this movie is going to work is uh, I, I'm kind of picturing it in a similar vein to PSI Love You, but instead of letters and tasks that have been set, it's, you know, like snippets of recordings of songs from Jackson, um, and all of them have these, like, little life lessons and messages that he was good, so uh, that he used in the first movie. Um, so, essentially, it inspires her, and she finishes the tracks. So, a lot of them are kind of, you get uh, Bradley Cooper's voice, but the song is very much a Lady Gaga song. Um there's a couple of tracks that I mentioned, but ultimately the songs are going to be written to support the storyline at a later date. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so her father happens to be visiting one day and hears her in the studio, which obviously he's very emotional by. Uh, he stood in the doorway watching her in her elements with a smile on his kind of on his face that he's probably not worn for a long time. He really tries to encourage Ali to get back into the music and uh, that you know he'll always be there. Um, for her but she rejects the notion saying that the industry is to blame you know she kind of blames the industry for what happened to Jackson nonetheless her father does contact her old agent Rez and asks to give her another chance after some encouraging he says yes Um, Bobby kind of warns Lorenzo they've become quite close Bobby and Lorenzo he warns warns him that this probably isn't the good thing to do that it's Ali's path to choose but he doesn't listen Rez turns up at the house eager to get Ali back. However, Ali loses it and ends up punching him after Rez makes a comment about Jackson being gone, kind of being the best thing for her to move on. Uh, so basically, a little side note, the senseless prick gets a tiny bit of what he deserves. But he leaves. <laughs> um, Ali discovers it was a father who called Rez and she loses it with him. She tells him to leave and not come back. Lorenzo sheepishly does so after trying to stop her, uh, and he apologises, but she's already slammed the door. It falls on deaf ears. We then watch Lorenzo, her father, driving, crying, and suddenly we see his face change as he has a stroke at the wheel and careers into a ditch or a tree. A slow fade to black that later reveals the next scene, which is his funeral. Sorry, Ross, I've taken a similar vein from you. Um, Ali is naturally distraught, uh, and despite comforts from her father's friends, from Bobby and Ramon, she leaves as soon as the funeral's over. She gets home, she's inconsolable, um, she sends Eddie to bed straight away, uh, and kind of in this emotional outburst, she begins tearing the studio shelves down, uh, pulling out all the old records and stuff. And all of a sudden, a hidden disc simply labelled My Love Drops. Um, Despite her emotional state, she decides to play it, probably for like a cathartic release. Uh, And it's old versions of I'll Never Love Again. Jackson singing them all, kind of trying out different melodies and whatnot. 
this leads to an inevitable emotional release, little Eddie coming down to cuddle his mum. Again, Jackson's voice is heard, telling her that he'll always love her, her soul, her voice, her words, and especially her nose. Um, his last sentence is along the lines of, you have to promise me, promise us all, we may not be here forever, so promise us that you'll never stop trying to tell people what you have to say. I was wrong, they'll not listen to me forever, I'm a mess, but you, there will always be people needing to hear you, I will always need to hear you. She whispers, I promise, and we see a slow fade. Um, six months later, we see the public buzzing, the paparazzi flashing, and we see Ali turning up. No fancy get-up or hairdo. She's just in a t-shirt and jeans. Um, Eddie's dressed similarly to her dad in like his iconic fashion with the little hat. Um, and we learn that she's there for an album launch. It's her album launch, the second album. Uh, the album is simply titled My Love and she dedicates the launch to the most important men in her life, including a look to Bobby and Ramon, who are in the wings. And then she belts out another fucking killer song, and that is the end of my movie. Okay. Um, thank you very much, mate. That's really lovely. So, again, similar, similar question as Ross. Mm-hmm. Can you describe to me how you see Ali's journey in the movie and why you've decided to take her in this direction um i think she she was kind of volatile at the beginning of the first movie anyway like and she already had kind of in some ways given up on her dream of the music industry and meeting jackson and taking that chance when she walked out on her job and stuff like it was all quite spontaneous and taking uh joining res i feel like she was very spontaneous in a lot of things that she's done and i just feel that yeah ultimately she blames the music industry for what happened in her life um and therefore it's her dealing with resentment um she has eddie which is kind of like her rock and become her life but she very much is kind of, you know, the house being disheveled and stuff is the idea that that is literally the only thing keeping her going at points. And this is about her, you know, finding herself again and building the strength to go out there, but in her way this time. Um, with the support of Jackson, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, him writing the songs may be seen as what you talked about in the first movie, that it's men guiding her in her life, but I feel like her finishing the songs is important to show her strength and her building confidence. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Good answer. So the, I, I've got like a couple of like nitpicky things like the, mm-hmm. um, the last CD that she finds when she sort of has the breakdown and she's smashing stuff. Um, I would, I would have preferred to have that be, less like smashing everything and seeing the one cd in the wreckage but i can i can get past some stuff <laughs> i was i was in quite an emotional state right in this so that at the moment was just like oh god it's just so beautiful <laughs> so no, yeah that's... but i understand there's some rather corny moments in this pitch let's say no that's it it's not like the first one doesn't have corny moments either um the only other question is and I'm I'm not saying this to be accusatory. It's mm-hmm. I'm I'm just wondering if it's something that might have crossed your mind because I'm not sure it would have for me. But any particular reason why you chose to increase Ramon's role 
um, and bring back the male presences from the first film rather than giving her female influences to have in her life? Um, I just think we don't actually meet any female influences in her life in the first film. So in order to find one, it would have required creating a new story. Um, so at that point, I mean, I very much didn't, I very much worked with what the first movie had given me with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ramon is the best friend. I'd contemplated the drag scene and bringing that back and how I could do that. But admittedly, I just, in writing this pitch, I just, I, it was already quite long. So trying to find more avenues, I just, yeah, I don't know personally if it does need it in. I don't. I feel strange saying that this is a movie where a woman uses the men in her life to carry her forward. But I think because that is all we're given in the first movie, I didn't want to kind of take away from the importance of those men in her life in the second movie. No, that's fair. That's good. And I I like that. Um, particularly Lorenzo is given um, more of more of something to do. And, and Ramon. Um, I think that's it from me. Thank you very much, Matt. Cool, thank you. Um, last, but by no means least, Mr. Andy Henry. Take it away. Mine is called A Star is Born Again. So we open with Ali in her dressing room, about to go on stage. The sound of a cheering crowd could be heard over the tannoy. She's looking at herself in the mirror. A teardrop falls from her eye, and we see that she's holding a razor blade to her wrist. She looks down at a picture of Jackson, and then back at herself in the mirror. Another tear falls, fade to black, one year ago. Ali is doing a sound check for a gig as different members of her team are telling her what to wear and how to have her makeup and etc and etc. Feeling the pressure, she runs backstage into a bathroom. We have a moment where she looks in the mirror, not sure she likes the person staring back at her. She hears someone throwing up and we meet one of Ali's backup singers throwing up because she's so nervous. Ali calms the girl down and tells her she has to believe in herself as a great man once told her. The girl doesn't ha- doesn't think she has. Uh, the girl doesn't think she's talented enough to sing back up to the, to a great like Ali. And Ali starts singing some bars. This is where we hear the girl sing, and she's beautiful. Ali jokingly asks why she's only a backup singer, uh, and the girl says she would love to be a successful, famous singer, but she doesn't want to be because it, she knows fame changes people. And we have a bit of like Ali kind of recognizing maybe that in herself. Ali tells the girl to meet her after the show, and before she leaves, she asks the girl's name, and the girl says her name is Alison. After the show, Ali, says, uh, Ali shows Alison to her manager, and after another song, the manager says he will launch her career. Uh, the next few scenes are Alison meeting her heroes, recording an album, and having fun, while Ali goes on, on more and more shows. We, say, we see her again being told what to wear, um, um, what, um, what to wear and all that lot. Uh, she tries to fight it, but uh, the manager keeps saying things like, you know, no, no, the, the costume goes with the show, and it goes with the lights, we can't change it now, it's a big kerfuffle. Uh, at the end of one show, Ali starts coughing, saying her throat hurts, and then she suddenly faints. The next day, a doctor tells her uh, she has a tumour on one of her vocal cords. The doctor says they can remove the tumour, but it's most likely going to kill her singing career. Ali meets Alison and admits that her life has become so complicated after becoming famous. She isn't over Jackson's death and nobody wants to help her unless it's safe. Uh, sorry. She isn't over Jackson's death and nobody wants to help her unless it helps them. Who is she? Uh, Alison empathises with Ali and a misunderstanding happens where Ali thinks uh, their relationship is fake and Alison only used Ali to get a career. We cut back and forth from scenes of Alison, Alison's career growing, going on talk shows, magazine shoots, and Ali's declining. People, t- uh, people try to tell Alison what to wear, but she refuses. We see Ali and Payne struggling to sing. The manager has a great idea to tour the two performers together, Ali having the first hour of a show and Alison ending it. 
Ali doesn't like this, as so she feels she's going on, she's opening for a newbie. And then we kind of have a scene where we, uh, we have a, a billboard of our. Oh, sorry. At one point uh, during the opening, we see a billboard of Ali, just like we did in like the the uh, the last film. Uh, and now we have a, a billboard where the poster of Ali is being replaced with a post, but poster of Ali and Allison. Um, so they're both booked on Saturday night, Saturday night Live, but Ali's throat is so bad she can't sing. She does the one thing she said she would never do and lip syncs her song. The music is cut and the audience finds out Ali was miming and starts booing. Ali runs backstage and sees Alison as she tries and tries to and tries to attack her, thinking she was the one who embarrassed her. Ali goes back to the doctor as the pain in her throat is getting worse, so the doctor says she have to have the surgery sooner than she's expected. Her manager tells the doctor she's only got a few performances left on her tour and asks the doctor for st- stronger pain pills. Ali soon becomes addicted to these pain meds and starts mixing it with alcohol, becoming an alcoholic. Her manager quits, telling her she's no better than Jackson Maine. We end with Alison trying to talk to Ali, but Ali believes that Alison used her to get famous, but she breaks down saying she hopes uh, it is everything Alison wanted because uh, being famous never helped her and she was never brave enough to say no, unlike Alison. She has no control over her life and soon she'll have nothing. Alison tries to convince Ali that she has more to offer than just being a singer, but Ali points out the only reason people pay her attention now is because she's a singer and they can get things from her. Um, like her manager got her stronger pain meds so he would keep his job and clothes designers wanted her to wear... Uh, their clothes because they're not uh, fans of her but because of the number of Instagram followers and stuff um, it's like people wanting not people don't want to speak to Stefani Germanotta uh, they want to speak to Lady Gaga basically uh, people uh, would people even remember her if she didn't sing Alison says of course and this is uh, and as this is possibly her last performance tonight she should go out with a bang do something the audience, audience will remember Alison even offers to go on first so Ali can close close the show as Alison as Allison leaves, she, Ali walks past the window and sees a billboard of her uh, sees a billboard of her, of her picture, picture being replaced with a picture of Allison. Uh, we end where we started with Ali holding the razor blade to her wrist, wondering if this would be a big enough bang to go out on. She looks down at a picture of Jackson and hears the words "You're no better than him" or "You're no better than Jackson Maine," whichever one fits. She then looks at herself in the mirror. We cut to outside her dressing room where a PA walks in. He quickly walks out, drops his clipboard and calls for help. As Alison is performing to a screaming crowd, we see paramedics trying to resuscitate Ali. And we fade from the uh, the deceased face to Ali to Alison smiling on stage. And then we fade to black. Okay. Um, I think... Really, any questions that I could ask you about this will fit under the umbrella of one question or or two questions which are why have why why have you chosen to make it so close to the original and what are you doing that is different enough to justify this being there that's what i need to understand so i am um, i kind of purposely made it like i tried i want to think a bit more circular than like repetitive because i had an idea how to approach this was like this is what the fourth adaptation i think fourth or fifth so i had the idea that it's just like the story is very like just like circular basically a star a star finds a newbie rises them up gets jealous event, uh, eventually become you know hates the monster they kind of created and then maybe takes their demise doesn't it depends um so i like i i, I like that and like updating it and then having um Ali come face to face with like the person she always wished she could be because like in the first film she's kind of at the start she's being told what to do and then she refuses but as she kind of goes through she kind of agrees a bit more 
Um, so I wanted to play on that. That fame has got to her, and fame fame is basically a curse if you don't kind of try and like tame it. Okay, I've heard everything that I want to hear for now. Um, as always, guys, it's now your opportunity now that you've heard the others to tell me why I should be picking your pitch. Um, we we have obviously covered some pretty heavy subject matter <laughs> this time around and so obviously we are still here to pick things apart and to point out issues that you genuinely may have but let's just keep it like let's just keep it semi-civil <laughs> okay i'll take the uh lead on this one if this is okay first of all i two very good pitches i feel that mine is actually quite very different in a lot in some ways from the other two. Um, the other two both explore addiction again and go back down a route that was taken in the first movie in different ways and in different minds. Um, but yeah, there's an air of kind of r- repetitiveness isn't the right word, but you know, we, we're seeing some similar themes from the first movie. Um, Andy makes the point that that is a conscious decision, but I wonder if it is um, perhaps not as powerful the second time round. But I love that he's bringing in a great female supporting character, which I definitely didn't do. Uh, Ross, again, has a very interesting idea with, you know, aging her and showing the industry and how it can grind someone down. Um, My... Only little concern with Ross's is the idea that she gets away with manslaughter, especially being on drugs. I don't know what message that necessarily paints. Um, I feel like mine is the lightest of the three, actually. It's probably not as gritty as the other two. Um, But I feel like mine takes some different journeys and, you know, shows how important life is in the blink of an eye, how it can all... Uh, be ruined but how you know one should always try and find light in the darkness so i think you should pick mine because i i I like the idea of maybe i didn't do it in my expanding it in my pitch but i that's something that is a key theme as well as the fall of her that attributes to the fall of her uh is the the aging of pop stars and the whole pop star machine and that's why i feel that mine's quite good in terms of it explores that um if 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 one of the notes is that uh you know she wouldn't have got away with manslaughter then we can change that she can either horribly maim them or she can go to uh prison or whatever i don't it's 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 up to change um i think that Matt's is really good. I like I like I like that he's veering away from the same like you said. Um uh I feel that th- there's a couple of movies in there. The whole PS I love you thing. When you said that, I was like, "Oh, that's cool. That's a cool idea." And then it went a different way um after that. Um like that was just like the beginning or the halfway through. Um which is like yeah you know like it, it will still be cool i think it's a good scene uh with andy's i again it started really s- strong i was like oh this this is cool like you're you're doing something about uh the, but then it started to it's felt to me very samey as the as the first one and that's not maybe that's not a necessarily bad thing maybe people will be up for that and i like 
I liked the your explanation of it being a cycle. My, kind of a similar vibe to mine, really. Like this whole pop uh, machine is a is a is a cycle. Um, however, I feel that mine slightly got something different in there. Whereas I think that um, with Andy's, it's a, just a tiny bit too samey, and I don't know. But all good pitches, but I think mine's clearly the best. So. <laughs> I just prefer Andy does start. I just defend in so in the description of PS I love you Rush, you are right. It's it does only kind of show up in the pitch once, but the idea is that every one of these tracks is a different time that she finds it. Like she finds an archive of all of his records, uh, all of her records from her songbook, and these different inspirations at different points in the movie. So it's more of a recurring theme than just the yeah. one time and then the album. It's meant to happen throughout. Um, and these are the musical interludes, but you are right, that wasn't very clear in my pitch. All right. Damn it, I shouldn't have helped you. <laughs> um, Andy. I just wrote, Matt just stole P.S. I Love You, but I guess they'd probably just be like, you stole the first film. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so let's see. The, um, yeah, but Matt's, I think if she was, uh, she would, if she was like famous or a long, you know, a long time after, she would have found some female friends and that's what I think the main thing is with yours is she hadn't got any real strong female leads and she'd say yeah does rely on the men a lot either she it would be nice to kind of pull herself out of this or uh, like a, a, a new friend or, or something like that um, Ross I love the I love the idea that she takes a break like halfway through a show and the manager just goes here's some water oh by the way dad's dead um, it just, I mean, I mean like not not a criticism. I love it because I think it suits his character. She's kind of going on stage. She's like, sorry, sorry, what? What, what was that? Oh, nothing. I'll tell you later. <laughs> did, did, uh, no, okay, that won't be playing on my mind for the rest of the show. Um, Ross, I think, has just a lot of actual shows and performances, which I'm I'm not sure how long um, that would take up at the time. Again, with Matt's, I think he has kind of a, a, a lonely, maybe pun intended, um, another strong lead or something to help or um, just be with um, Ali. And then, yeah, just, I mean, I wrote the manslaughter thing, but you've just kind of, like you said, sh they should maim him or go, go to prison at the end, which is, you know, changing a, changing a big, big bit of the pitch on the fly. Um, <laughs> but mine, yes, mine was kind of purposely a little bit repetitive because, as I say, I like the idea that this is a circular story. If I really did think about Alec, actually, Ali's, where Ali would go, and I wanted to set this really like close to the first film because she's not over Jackson's death. Um, she's still got like the buzz um, from her career, but I wanted her to, yeah, have her to go up against her journey basically was to go up against someone that she wished she had a younger version that she's actually jealous of. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And everything else. I kinda, okay. I kinda said. On that, I think you should pick mine purely because the manager, the evil British manager, gets his comeuppance because <laughs> he definitely killed Jackson in that in that last one. Um, it, it is pretty unambiguous, but he, to, to Matt's credit, he Matt does say explicitly in his that he gets some comeuppance as well. Yeah, fuck you. But I mean, yeah, in in Ross's, he, he gets 
Matt's is only <laughs> Matt's is very <laughs> lucky that <laughs> it's very ambiguous as the timeline because we don't know if she was pregnant and that's the most annoying thing because we don't know when the wake was. We didn't see her being she she wasn't she didn't have a bump. That's the downfall of the film, uh, the actual original movie that it didn't have any timestamps, so I couldn't pick <laughs> Matt's apart by saying that she was pregnant. <laughs> Ironically, Matt's- I called it a flaw in the original movie, and it suddenly turned out that it could be a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, right. Genuinely, all three of you have demonstrated that you've put a lot of thought into this, and I really appreciate it. Like, it, I hope it doesn't sound patronising, but I'm kind of. <laughs> Proud is Proud probably the wrong word, but I think it's Thanks, it's, yeah, it's great yeah, that Dad. that we've we've challenged a film that is more serious, and we've all stepped up and and put some real thought into it. I have to say that if if I was buying this from you to turn into a from any all three of you, that changes would need to be made, and I think with changes, all three could like genuinely probably work with with the right actors and the right the right creatives all of you would be giving lady gaga another really good opportunity to absolutely bloody shine and show what she can do but still do things that were different from the previous film which i think is great but i think i'm kind of setting a rule for myself that i've got to pick the films that i was pitched rather than the films that they could be with changes And so I think for me, from my personal point of view, I'm picking Matt's pitch. Um, And like genuinely with some changes, I think that they could all work. But to to elaborate more, guys, why I haven't picked yours, I, I felt like Ross... I I feel like the focus on the toll that it's had on her physically as she's getting older, that would have been enough of a film on its own and her losing her dad and it could have all been about just the toll that the career has taken on her and I think that would be a really cool direction and I think that taking it back down alcohol and drugs was a step that you didn't need to take and so I, I would feel like I would want to take that out. Um, and so I, I think you've you've got too many good ideas um, in the pitch as it was. Um, likewise, Andy, I I love how much thought you've put into it, and the fact that Alison has made the choice at the beginning to try not to be famous because she doesn't want to be, and how that would affect Ali. Um, and and I think that and and you've got some really great opportunities for there to be music and again for Lady Gaga to have a really good performance and a new strong female character joining this now. Fran- well, it's not a franchise. This series of two movies, but I think ultimately your commitment to the idea of it being cyclical is admirable and not bad in a concept in any way. But I I. If if I was trying to put this film out to make money from it, I I think it would just be too close to the original. I don't think you would be able to get away from that in the press and the audience response. Um, Matt, like I said, stuff would need to change. There is a lot in here that's quite contrived, and like the the finding of the things or the three year old turning on a computer and manage it and it like being in sleep mode for four years and he presses one button and it plays that exact song there's stuff that would need to change but i think that you've given ali as a character something to grow on i think that it it 
it might be a bit of a stretch to say that she gave it all up where I read the end of the first film that she's sort of triumphant and she's going to carry on. But I think it's ambiguous and I think it could play and I think it's a lovely idea. And so, well done. That's why I've picked yours. Thanks, mate. And thanks, guys, as well. Good episode. Uh, Yeah. Good pictures. I really like both of them. Matt, that then leads us on to what are we watching next week maybe something a little bit lighter who knows please yes please <laughs> i think so i i have really enjoyed this episode and i feel like we've all managed to kind of show another side to us that we don't always show on this podcast um hmm. however that being said <laughs> it's an action comedy film that we're going to be doing we're going to be going into the kingsman series and doing <gasps> kingsman 2 the golden circle the golden circle excellent right so kingsman the golden circle with that i think it's probably time to wrap the episode up so as usual you can get in touch with us on twitter on instagram on facebook if you search sequel pitch or sequel pitch podcast you are bound to find us let us know what you think let us know if i made the wrong choice uh give the guys some love if you liked their pitch or even if you didn't give them love anyway give everyone love let's be nice let's all be positive influences in the world and on that note i'm going to say goodbye from ross harmston I'm out the deep end, watch as I dive in. I'm gonna go commit manslaughter. <laughs> you, you hit the nut. No- I was expecting that high note to go wrong, and you made it. Well done. Uh, goodbye from Andy Henry. <laughs> Very good. Goodbye from this week's winner and next week's host, Matthew Rushton. Iron Lion. I don't lie without an alibi. And it is goodbye from me. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.